0: As the old country boy said, that was plumb good, wasn't it? <laughs> boy, I love this verse here, it says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Thank you, folks, for singing both both songs, and appreciate it so very much. God bless you for being here tonight, amen? Of course, that's where he's supposed to be on Wednesday night, isn't it? I'm glad you're here, God bless you. I love your church, one of our favorite churches, certainly. Preacher is one of my favorite preachers, amen? And friends and uh, a lot of other descriptions I could make of him that are very good. I was trying to think of something good to say about him, but I can't think of one right now. But if I think of one, I will, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Y'all got right quiet. Y'all don't like anybody messing with your preacher, do you? I can detect that right now. But anyway, uh, Diane and I want to thank you for everything this week and for a place to park our and. Uh, for the fellowship we've enjoyed with you folks and the meals. We've had some meals and I I like to eat, of course. That's one of my problems. Amen? And I like your church because your church is not a museum of what's happened in the past. It's a lighthouse. Amen? And the church as a whole is a lighthouse, but every one of us are lights. Amen? As we go out in this community. And I trust the Lord to meet with us tonight. I have a message that uh, God has used in my own life and I figured if God used it in my life, maybe He'll use it in somebody else's life. Amen. I want you to turn, if you would please, to the book of Luke, the 16th chapter of Luke. And uh, if you would please, the 16th chapter of the book of Luke. As a pastor, I found out that that uh, one of my great, and I may have said this earlier in the week, but one of my great tasks, uh, of course, there's a lot of tasks a preacher has. You know, a pastor of a church like this wears a lot of hats and uh, puts in a lot of time if he's a man of God, and, and you have one, and I'm glad you do. But uh, there's uh, you, you, I found there was one thing that I had to constantly be doing for my own self as well as for his congregation when I pastored, and that is to motivate people to do what they already knew they were supposed to do. Anybody ever have that problem like me? Raise your hand at me if you doubt that you have to be motivated to do sometimes what you already know you're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, everybody's motivated by something. Something motivates you. Something moves you along. Something challenges you. Something keeps you going. And uh, the Apostle Paul, of course, Christ was at the center of his life. That's always number one. But you'll find that in Paul's life, there were several things that really motivated him and of course, Christ was the center of it all. And you find them in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I, don't turn, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read them to you right quick. And it motivated him to reach people with the gospel message. And here's what it says. He says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He said, I'm persuading people because of the terror of the Lord, the wrath of God. The future judgment, hail, those kinds of things. But he said, that's not the only thing that motivates me. Down in verse 14, he said, the love of Christ constraineth us. And the word constrain, it doesn't mean to hold down, it means to push along. It means it gets around you and so moves you along. And so Paul said, I'm challenged and motivated by the terror of the Lord, but I'm also motivated by the tenderness of the Lord. Isn't God a tender God to us? He certainly is to his children, to his, to his family, uh, his believers and so forth. But tonight I want to preach a message from Luke chapter 16 with the Lord's help. And you found your place, it's a familiar passage to most of us, but uh, the first two points will be fairly familiar. But I think the third point, which is the point that challenges me so much and has convicted me so much uh, about this man in hell. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something right now at the beginning. I may have asked you to do something the other day, but I want you to do something for me tonight. I I really want you to do this. I'm going to ask you a question. If God, and He's not going to do this, all right, But if God was here tonight, and He said, i tell you what I'm going to do. You tell me two people, more than any people in the world you want to see saved. And if you'll put them on a piece of paper, I'll save them. That's not doesn't work that way, does it? But I want you to think about it. If, you, if God asks you to decide what two people you want saved more than anybody else. I mean, you say, well, preacher, I want everybody saved. Well, God bless you. I do too. But that's not the question. The question is, is there two people in your life that if you could write them on a piece of paper and God would save them, these are probably the two people you'd write on there. That, you, far as you know, they're unsafe. I want you to write it down right now on a piece of paper. on a On a, on a bulletin on your back, of your hand, or on your forehead, you know, somewhere. But, uh, sir, yeah, write it on your neighbor's shoulder. There, you'll be able to see. It. Of course, we'll have a brawl here in a few minutes if you do that. But anyway, I'm serious. I, I I don't know how to be more serious than what I'm asking you to do. I hope everybody do it. I hope you young people have some friends that are young that. You say, well, boy, I tell you, if, if I could see two people saved, here's one of them right here. It's a friend of mine that I don't believe is saved. Or it's somebody I go to school with or whatever. I hope everybody will do that, young and old, white-haired, gray-haired, no-haired, amen. <laughs> and uh, I'm, getting the, I'm getting to be the no-haired guy. But a guy told me, he said, well, you know, they don't put marble tops on cheap furniture, amen. So anyway, so I guess that helps us a little bit. All right, I want us to look. I want to preach a message tonight I've entitled A Call from Beneath. A Call from Beneath. Let's read these scriptures here that are familiar, but I believe the third point of my, maybe the first two, but the third point in particular. Let's look at it, verse 19. The Bible said there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. Now, once we read the name Lazarus, there's one thing we know. The thing we immediately know is this is not a parable. Because Jesus never used proper names in parables. They were, they were stories that He made, but He's using a proper name. This is not a parable. This is a true account. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores desiring, the, 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 the beggar, desiring to be fed with the crumbs. If you'll study your Bible, the crumbs were given to the dog at the table. A man would take his crumbs after getting his bread, and he'd push them off on the floor so the dogs could have it. This man was only asking for what the dogs ate. To be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, the beggar's, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels unto Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell this rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, and we believe this man was a Jewish man, by the way, and here's why, because he calls Abraham father, and Abraham's going to call him son. And that was a relationship that Jews saw with Abraham. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, and he had two prayer requests, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now we got to keep in mind, these are the words of Jesus Christ. Any words in the Bible, you can count on them. Amen? But these are the words of the Lord Jesus telling us about an awful place called hell. And it is not a fairy tale, it is not a make-believe place. Jesus said it is a real place that real human beings will one day go to and, and are there today even. But Abraham said, in answer to his, his, his request, his first request, he said, Son, you remember that in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things and Lazarus Uh, Likewise, Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and thou art tormented. Everything's changed. And besides, getting somebody to go to you or you even coming over here, besides all of this between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. So that they would pass from hence to you. If they, they can't come from you, they cannot. Neither can they pass to us from that would come from thence. I was nobody can go from hell to heaven or from heaven to hell. They cannot do that. I'm going to stop the reading there, but our key is a couple of verses later. Father, as I bow my head, I, I acknowledge to you tonight that more than any message I've tried to preach this week, I need the Spirit of God's help. I, I need you tonight. I, I want you to help me as I preach. I don't have what it takes. I, I, I know that. I acknowledge that. I'm not trying to be pious or, or anything, but I know I need the power of God to deliver this message. But more, even as much as the preaching of the Word, there has to be the hearing of the Word. And I pray the Spirit of God to help people to hear not only with their physical ears, but we would all hear with our hearts. And Lord, I thank You that You've convicted my heart as I've prepared and studied For this message, unlike you have any message in a good long while. So Lord, in heaven, I pray that you'll meet with us tonight. Accomplish your purpose, I pray, in the name of our wonderful Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, God is going to give us a glimpse into the unseen world. First of all, we're going to see two places, and then we're going to see two people. The two places are paradise, what is called paradise, is heaven-like, but it was also referred to by the Jews as Abraham's bosom. Before the resurrection, and we won't go into a lot of detail with this, but before the resurrection of Christ, nobody died and went straight to heaven when they died. Now we do, to be absent from the body is to what? Be present with the Lord. But that that was before Christ died, when a person died, they went to the heart of the earth, and there were two places in the heart of the earth, one was called, they referred to it as Abraham's bosom or paradise. The other side of that place was called hell. And that was a place of torment, and we see both of them tonight. Now, if, we were, if this had happened in our day, uh, Lazarus would be in heaven, not in paradise or Abraham's bosom, but that was then, and uh, Jesus has emptied that place out when he went back to heaven. Amen? So we see two places. We see perdition... And we see paradise. But more important than seeing two places, we see two real different men uh, in these two places. First of all, we see a lost man who died and went to hell. We Second of all, we see a saved man who died and went to paradise. Now, I want to give you this introduction about these two men. And the first two points, you'll know a lot of that probably. Number one... The possessions, I want to contrast. The first man that went to hell, the second man who went to paradise, I want to contrast their possessions. Look quickly at them. And we just read the text. The financial condition of this rich man. Well, the fact is, he had whatever he needed. He was wealthy, so he could afford it. Uh, He could go wherever he wanted to go. Why? He could afford it. He had the monies. You know, sometimes I say, Well, I'd like to take a vacation to such and such but we can't afford that, so we can't go. Well, he could have about anywhere he wanted. He could have about whatever he wanted. He was a wealthy man, a rich man. That was his financial condition. What was his physical condition? Evidently, he fared pretty good. I mean, he, he had, the Bible says, a cloth in purple, so his clothing was really nice. And he fared sumptuously. The word sumptuously refers to food. So he had the two basic requirements and had many more than that. But you know, Paul said if a man has food and raiment, he's got But the basics. Well, that man had them, but he had them in great, uh, he had them in great uh, purple cloth and he had fared sumptuously every day. So physically, he was probably doing good. Socially, him being a rich man, I bet he had a lot of friends. I bet he was the envy of his town. I bet his people drove by that struggled and had a hard time in life would glance over at his house as they were going by and one man would might say to his wife, Honey, why can't we have something like that? I've worked hard all my life. How do people like him have what they have? And he was probably the envy of the town. And we know that he had five brothers. We'll find that out in a minute. So he always had people probably coming and going at his house. But what was his spiritual condition? He was unsaved. Uh, He he didn't know the Lord. He was lost. In fact, he had lived his life without reference to God. And therefore, when he died, he died without hope. Now, let's look quickly at Lazarus and the possessions contrasted with the rich man. What about his financial condition? What was he? Well, if he was a beggar, he was what? He wasn't rich, he was what? He was poor, so we're talking about a poor man. Now, keep in mind, and I don't have to tell you this, I don't believe you're well taught, but nobody goes to heaven or hell because they're rich or poor. doesn't have a thing to do with that. But what's his physical condition? Well, evidently, he wasn't doing too good because he's begging for food. Evidently, he doesn't have a very good diet of food if he's having to beg for something to eat. And I don't believe his clothes were adequate because you could see you, ha- you could see on his body sores, so maybe he didn't even have the ample clothing. and uh, he, So he was, he was not doing well physically, and he probably couldn't even walk because somebody had to carry him and lay him at the gate of that man's house. What was his social condition? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us how many friends he had or anything else. He at least had somebody that would carry him and put him at the gate so he could be a beggar. Amen. And he did have some other friends, a bunch of stray dogs. And those stray dogs, when he was laying there, would come and lick his sores. Pretty gross, I understand that. But that was about the only relief that man got from those sores was those dogs licking his sores. But what was his spiritual condition? He was saved. (laughs) Hey, somewhere along the line, God had spoken his heart, and he didn't repel God and and neglect God. He received the Lord. He, He believed the truth of the Word of God and became a believer in our Lord. Now you say, well where did these two men meet at? i tell you where the rich man and Lazarus met was at the end of the rich man's driveway because he was laid at the gate of the rich man's house and these two men you couldn't be any more different possibly be any more different than these two men were. Now this man probably resented the fact that this beggar was at down at the bottom of his driveway. He had people coming in, and probably well-to-do, wealthy people. Wealthy people have wealthy friends a lot of times. And they had to walk past a bunch of dogs licking the sores of this poor man who was not well-clothed evidently, and they knew he was nothing but a beggar. I'm sure the rich man wished many a time that he would not be laid there anymore. He probably wasn't on his property or he would have probably got him off. And I'm sure that rich man had a beautiful home with nice landscaping and this guy was a sore spot to his property. Just a sore spot. Now they were different. Everything about them was different. But they had one thing in common. Now stay with me, I'm headed somewhere. They had one thing in common. They both died. Now the Bible said that Lazarus died and was carried somewhere. The Bible said the rich man died and was buried. And we're going to see tonight how a rich man became poor and how a poor man became rich. It's amazing when you contrast this. Now, quickly, let's look at their positions after they died. We saw their possessions contrast. Now let's contrast their position after they died. Well, if we had been in town when the rich man died, we might have, we might, he might have been taken down to Vaughn-Gwen-McGrady Chapel. And we see him laying on a stainless steel table called an embalming table. And he's laying there and they're getting ready to embalm him, but could I tell you, he wasn't there. Because you see, our body is simply the house that we live in. And the soul is who we are. And so they placed Him, no doubt, in one of the finest caskets they would have because He could afford it and His family could afford it. And they put Him in a casket and people would come by and look at Him in a casket. But I want you to know, He wasn't there. Well, what was His position after He died? Jesus said that He lifted His eyes up and He was in hell in torments. He was in torments. No longer comforted. Now you realize, and it's nothing wrong with being rich. By the way, God bless people in the Bible with wealth sometimes. But this man was a lost man, and that which he depended so often on was now gone. His finances were gone; he was gone from his home, his own family. He would he would not see his family and friends. He he was alone in hell. I hear people say, and I heard somebody say it recently. And and I, if I was near and where I could have spoke to him, I would have been kind to him. But I would have spoke to him and. They said, well, I'll tell you. In fact, it was a guy at McDonald's. I go down to McDonald's once in a while early in the morning just to be a witness to those fellows that sit around and, you know, solve all the world's problems. And I'll never forget that old boy. I got to know him pretty well. And I've had the joy, by the way, of winning, winning a man to the Lord there. went to his. He let me come to his home, led him to Christ. But anyway, and uh, this guy was sitting there just the other day. And somebody said something about heaven and hell, and they told me here's what he said. He said, Well it doesn't matter which one I go to because I got friends at both places. Ha ha. That was just the other day. And by the way, if he's if he was unsaved, which I believe he was, he's in hell tonight. Dan is in hell tonight. He's alone. He's not with friends, he's alone. He's in the darkness of eternity because he lived his life without God, therefore he died without hope. And by the way, he will be in hell forever. He's there tonight, he'll be there forever and ever, and he's been abandoned by God because the Bible says, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence, away from the presence of God Almighty. So his position was, he was in hell. Now what is the position contrasted with Lazarus? Stay with me. He's in paradise. He's in what we would call heaven today. He's in a place of rest and comfort. And you know old Lazarus? He has everything he needs today. He don't have to beg for anything anymore. And and by the way, the Lord will never forsake him. Never forsake him at all. He's no longer suffering. He has no more of those sores on his body. I mean... Hey, what a position to have. The tables have completely turned. There was a day when Lazarus had nothing but God. And there was a day when the rich man had everything but God. Let me tell you, I want to give you the final point. His prayers. Not only his possessions, not only his uh, uh, position, but his prayers in hell. Now, this this is interesting to me. It's sad, but it's interesting. And I guess this is what really broke my heart. Here's a man that's, that's lifted up his eyes in hell, and there's no way he's going to ever get out of there, and he's going to be tormented for eternity. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, he has two requests. We only read about one of them. The first request he had, he, he was begging for mercy. And what did he want? Where was he going to find this mercy? He wanted some water. He wanted wanted Lazarus to come and just dip his finger. You know how you pull your finger out of water and there's a little drop of form right there and then after a while it'll drop down. He said, if you'll just send Lazarus over here and just bring me one drop of water to cool my tongue, just one drop. So he's praying for himself and he's begging for water and mercy. You know, God's rich in mercy. Y'all know that, don't you? Hey, God is rich in mercy. But you know the problem with the mercy with this man is that now he's praying to the wrong person. He's praying at the wrong time. And he's praying from the wrong place because there is no mercy in hell. There was a day had he cried for the mercy of God, he could have found it because God's rich in mercy. But he, he can't have it now. You say, preacher, you said that he asked two prayer requests. He did. One was for water. Now, The second prayer request, and by the way, let's just think a minute. Isn't it interesting that a lost, dead man, dead in trespasses and sin, and dead physically, he can see. He saw Lazarus. He saw Abraham. He can talk, because he's talking to him. He can hear, because he hears the response, and he didn't like the response, so he talked again. I mean, he has all these things. He has a memory. He can remember back home. He can remember his brothers. We'll see that in just a moment. But what is really interesting, a lost, dead man can pray. Wow. He evidently had some kind of a spiritual awareness there in hell. And he has two requests. One was for water. What's the next one? Look at it. Then he said in verse 27, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him, talking about Lazarus, the same one to come get the water, to my Father's house. Why? For I have five brethren, five brothers, that he may testify unto them. I want him to go witness to them. I need water, but I need a witness. Well, you need a witness for you. You're in hell. I need it for my brothers back home and on earth. Less, why? less? also they come into this place of torment. Here's a man that had two prayer requests, one for water and one for a witness, to go to his family on earth. And he's in the middle of the earth in hell itself. And Abraham answered him correctly. He said unto him in verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets. That is a terminology for the Old Testament, which is what they had at that time. Let them hear them. And he said, and by the way, watch this in verse 30. This lost dead man in hell would not take no for an answer to his prayer. He was persistent. And he said, oh no, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He knew what repentance was. He's in hell. And he said unto him, Abraham did, if they hear not Moses, if they don't listen to the word of God, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And one did rise from the dead, you know. He's called Jesus. (laughs) And people still reject him, even though he come back from the dead. Now, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying here a man had two prayer requests. One was for himself. The other one, he was interceding for his brother's who he knew were lost just like he was, and he didn't want them to come to hell. And he started praying to Abraham and begging Abraham to send a witness to his family. When Abraham said, nope, can't do that, he couldn't take that as a no. He said, oh, wait a minute, if you'll just... And he tried to explain to him why, if you'll just do this, my five brothers are lost, I'm in hell, I know what it is here. Could I tell you that he had a burden for his family to be saved? I know a lot of us, God help us. I raise my hand with you again. A lot of us, not even concerned about our family getting saved. Well, we'd like for them to get saved. But what are we doing? I mean, really, what are we doing? Now, I want to close with this point. Here's a man who probably wished Lazarus had left his driveway and never come back. And now he's asking Abraham, would you send Lazarus, specifically Lazarus, to go back and testify witness to my brothers now here's my question why didn't he ask Abraham to go back boy that'd been pretty impressive wouldn't it man Abraham why hey how about you going back man they see Abraham the father of the Jews and they're Jews you know man I'm, I'm, I'm no doubt about them believing but he asked for Lazarus to go why didn't he just say could anybody go I mean if you're in heaven if you're in the place of What we'd call heaven today? Why can't you just anybody be all right to go? Why did he just want him? You know what I'm convinced? Lazarus had witnessed to that man in his life as a saved man, and I don't think God chose a sorry Christian as an example for all this. I believe Lazarus witnessed to that man many, many times. Probably bothered him, but he never heeded Lazarus' message of the truth of the gospel. So when now, the man who's dead and in hell, but he's conscious completely in torments, he wants somebody to go see his brothers, who does he want to go? He wants the one who witnessed to him, because you know why? He knows if Lazarus goes back, you know what? He knows what Lazarus is going to do. He's going to talk to his brothers about Jesus Christ and about being saved. He didn't want the average church visitator to go back to his brothers. You know what, let me tell you, and I, I praise the Lord for anybody that goes on visitation and tries to be a witness for the Lord. But let me tell you, the average visitor from the average church, and I don't know how y'all do it, how you do it, I'm just talking. I know, I know listen, he don't want somebody to go back, go in his house, sit down with his brothers, one of his brothers and family, and just chit-chat a while, make a little small talk, and then get on politics and talk about who you voted for and what's wrong with all the politicians, and talk about who won the ball game, and if Virginia Tech won or lost, or who's going to play in the World Series, or what about your job and where you work at. I'm not against chit-chatting a little bit about those things, but most, the average visitation is just go in there and be nice and friendly, and oh, by the way, when we get ready to leave, we'd like to invite you to our church. I'm for inviting people to church. But that man knew his brothers needed something beyond that. They needed to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he knew that old Lazarus was a witness to him, and he knew he'd witness to his brothers. Amen? That's why he wanted him. Now that bothered me. That convicted me. Because here's what my first question was when I was studying for this message. Is there anybody in hell today in September, is there anybody in hell today that's calling my name and begging God to send Roger Baker to their family because they know whether I've witnessed to them or they just knew my life, that I would go and be a true witness to their family. Is anybody calling my name in hell today because they have confidence that I'll tell them about Jesus? Wow. Wow. Well, if if they're calling my name, would I go if God prompted my heart? Would I pray for them if God prompted my heart? Would I go and tell them about Jesus if God prompted my heart? But that man was begging to send Lazarus because he knew he'd witness to his brothers. Or, I thought this, maybe you'll think this, are there some people in hell calling my name and wondering why? I passed them by in life over and over and never had a burden for their soul and never witnessed to them one time. You reckon maybe there's some people in hell saying that out loud that I, had, I wouldn't get out of my comfort zone and, well, you know, I don't have time and, well, you know, and, and we know, and we know on and on and on. Could I tell you that if we have a person we know that has a flat tire you know what we fellows will do if we we see them and we know them and we're passing by them? We'll stop and help them. <laughs> Amen. I might, hey, I can't change the tire I'm too old. Well, we'll stop and see if you're on a ride or you go get some help or whatever. If somebody has a flat tire, we'll help them. If somebody needs to go to a doctor and they just don't have a way to get there, they somebody in this church would take them. And if there's somebody that's hungry, I'd give him a sandwich. Amen. I mean if he's truly hungry. But if he's just dying and going to hell, we don't do anything most of the time. Not even a track. Well, I just don't know how to can you can you address an envelope, maybe? And maybe we could put a track in an envelope and mail it to somebody. You know, I listen, I'm I'm raising my hand. I I, I tell you, I feel sometimes sorry as dirt. But let me tell you, people in hell, listen. Don't let a dead man, lost man, who's in hell, outpray you for lost people. Don't let a dead, lost man in hell have a greater burden for unsaved people than you and I have. If a lost man in hell, who's never experienced, watch it now, He's never experienced the grace of God. That lost man has never experienced the mercy of God. That lost man in hell had never enjoyed the forgiveness of God. He never knew the sweet assurance that Jesus can bring to a heart when they get saved. He never had the peace with God, nor peace of God. If a man who's never had that, Wants people to be saved, shouldn't we, who have experienced the marvelous and the wonderful grace of God, we sing about it all the time? If, if, if we have experienced the forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future, and we have the sweet assurance that one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk on streets of gold, I'm going to be praising God, I'm going to walk through a gate that's made out of a huge pearl. I'm going to look at the foundations of that new Jerusalem and it's going to have sparkling diamonds and rubies all in it. And that's my home. That's where I'm going. If, If I've experienced the mercy and grace of God, surely I can have more burden than a lost, dead man in hell can have. Surely I can have more of a burden and more of a prayer for lost people than a lost, dead man in hell. You know, you wrote down, I hope you did, at least you got it somewhere in your mind, two people. Before they're laying on a stainless steel embalming table, you reckon maybe we could learn something from a lost, dead man who's in hell, who has a burden to see his brother saved, and who prays with that burden and begs Abraham. And when Abraham tells him no, he couldn't take it for an answer. He had to be persistent. Wow. You reckon before they end up over there at Vaughn Gwen, McGrady, I believe it is, chapel, you reckon maybe that there's somebody in hell calling your name out for you to go to their family? Now, by the way, all the rich man's brothers we don't know where they're at, but we assume they may be in hell. Because they were all lost, evidently, because he wanted somebody to witness to them. Did you know he probably has some descendants that's made it down to 2018? Now let me tell you, Lazarus and his family, they can't, they can't go visit them. But you know, we're living in a day, we might be visiting one of his relatives. And he's begging somebody to go tell his brothers. You know, I don't know if anybody's calling my name from hell today because they know I'd be faithful to go if God put it on my heart. But I know one thing. I don't want want to be shamed by a lost man in hell that can pray for lost people more and have a greater burden than me. That shames me. And it ought to shame me. Amen? Amen. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? reckon anybody's calling your name tonight from hell because they have confidence that you would go and you would pray and you would tell them the gospel with compassion? Or are they talking about you? I worked beside that man. He claimed to be a Christian. He never told me, Oh God, I'm in torments. Please some water. Why didn't old Joe Blow come and tell me? I worked beside of him for years. Man. There's a call from beneath that's calling us to go and witness to lost people. Now you have two people written down, or I hope you did, and before they get over to the funeral home, wouldn't it be good if they could have an opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved? I hope God will give me a greater burden and more of a prayer life for people that I know that are lost And that dead, lost man had in hell. Let's pray. Our Father, I not only needed your help to try to preach this message, we need your help right now during this invitation. And dear God, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I didn't ask them to write something down so I could try to get them forward. That's your business what they do and what you do, Lord, with them. But I pray tonight that we would not be ashamed of the fact That God, you don't send angels down to witness to people. You send us out to be a witness. Oh God, the least we could have is a burden for our family, our brothers and sisters and mamas and daddies and boys and girls and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And our neighbors and maybe those we work with and those we go to school with or those we play ball with. Oh God in heaven, help us to have that burden and that prayer life for lost folks. God will thank you in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here tonight and God's burdens your heart, he, he, I tell you, He burdened my heart. He burdened my heart about lost people more than I've been burdened in a long time, and I'm ashamed of that. I don't want that rich man to have a greater burden than me pray more prayer than I do. How about you? Now, you may be the only hope those names you wrote on a piece of paper are that person in your mind. And if you don't know a lost person, I'm kind when I say this, but shame on you if you don't know a lost person. Find one. On purpose, find him. Find her. Go after him. Introduce yourself to him. Begin to befriend them. Invite them to the house of God. Give them a gospel tract. Tell them about Jesus. Amen. Let's stand to our feet tonight. If you want to come to the throne of grace tonight, if you need to come gather around the altar, sit on the front row. If your knees don't bend too well, God will hear your prayers, and that's the first place to start—is prayer, prayer, and then the burden to go. You mind the Lord Is what we singing, book five ninety-one. What's the name of it? Have thine own way. Have thine own way.